My guest today is Brink Lindsay. Now, this is a first for the show because we're both Tallahassee guys, although Brink does not live in Tallahassee any longer. He has wisely moved across the globe to northeastern Thailand. And Brink is an incredibly smart guy. He really thinks about the future in ways that a lot of people, I think, should pay more attention to. He's got a terrific substack called The Permanent Problem. He's a vice president at the Niskanen Center, which is a think tank in D.C. that I really respect. They're very focused on free markets, open society, you know, sort of post-partisan ideas that can break across, you know, the various ideological trenches in which we find ourselves fighting. So I'm delighted to have Brink with us today. And uh, we're going to talk today about two articles he's just done on the state of the American media and the crisis that a failing American media system has left the country in at the moment. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Brink, thanks again for joining us today. And you had an article this week that caused a stir, and it really struck a chord with me, uh, Called on your Substack called How Mainstream Journalism Squandered Its Authority. And I thought to myself that this is an incredibly important topic right now, especially as we're rolling into a new election season, and, and as we see this broad sort of collapse of trust in institutions and authority across the board in America. And wanted to, to, to talk to you a little bit about it uh, and and talk about not only why you see that decline happening uh, of trust in media, trust in journalism, but also in, more prospectively, what do we do yeah. about it? Because I, I'm of the opinion that that a functioning, robust journalistic enterprise is absolutely vital for a functioning republic and a, and a constitutional democracy. So with with that, tell me, tell me what's wrong and how are we going to fix it? <laughs> So like uh, like everybody and his brother, uh, I've got a Substack. Uh, it's called the Permanent Problem, and uh, it's terrific, so, by the way. Thank you. Um, and so uh, the essay this week was a follow up from an essay the week before uh, called "Fighting in a Burning House," mm -hmm. A, mm -hmm. a, sort of a larger piece about how our media environment has become so toxic and post truthy. Right. Um, and, and then um, I followed up this week with uh, focusing in uh, so on on the particular missteps of mainstream media, uh, which mm -hmm. I think by, by, you know, by far and away is the best part of, of the current media universe. Uh, but <laughs> uh, they have not safeguarded, uh, they, they were up their trust and authority was under assault anyway, by the times and by a systematic attack from the right wing for decades. Uh, so they, uh, it, it's, <clears throat> Media institutions, big news organizations should have been taking special care, I think, uh, to safeguard their authority, their trustworthiness across the board. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, very difficult when you become the story when the president of the United States is calling you the enemy of the people. Um, sure. But I think uh, uh, a sort of surrender of old school objectivity, uh, by which I mean studiously appearing 
to remain above the fray and sticking uh, as closely as possible, uh, but fearlessly uh, to well-documented facts. Uh, I think, uh, you know, cable news swapped out, uh, you know, uh, basically hard news format back in its original days for talk show format infotainment a long time ago. Um, and uh, then uh, when Trump became a candidate, they built him up because he was fantastic ratings. Uh, and then when he ended up winning, uh, they saw a ratings bonanza and sort of posing as leaders of the resistance. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, they were going to, you know, they were under assault anyway, uh, but they really sort of walked right into it uh, by confirming the right wing line uh, that they were just partisans masquerading as fact finders. So uh, I think, you know, uh, in a, I, don't, I don't want to put too much blame uh, on, uh, on news institutions that I think by and large are, you know, do have a very high quality product, but I, I don't think they're completely blameless in the, in the position we find ourselves in now. You write a little bit about how this is the, the end product on the right's attack on media of, of a very, very long haul social engineering project that that as you mentioned you know before you and I were even born in that post McCarthy era there was a sort of you know feeling that oh the liberal media somehow got somehow short-circuited McCarthy and conservative values and then in the 60s it became institutionalized and I'd argue from the sort of period between the late 80s early 90s and today we've had it institutionalized and funded and there's this sort of broad sense of of critique of the media from the right that never ever takes a break, and even right. if it's even if there's not an evident example of bias, it is every piece of reporting is held up as biased, liberal, progressive, left wing. Even when it's not, it is in their minds. How much do you see the weaponization on bo- on both sides of the political equation? Um, uh, you know how how much of that? How much of this problem is driven by that? And how much of it is driven by some of the you know the things we have to acknowledge about journalistic culture that it tends to attract people who are more on the left? So going back to the essay before, this really sort of uh, kind of dark conclusions for someone who's a believer in free markets and a techno-optimist that I've come to the conclusion that free markets and news bring out the worst in us, especially under conditions of kind of information overload where the competition for eyeballs is so fierce. The incentives for sensationalism and infotainment and mm-hmm. for, for false alternatives as polarized as possible uh, is, you know, are, are fairly overwhelming. And uh, and so uh, I think to an unacknowledged extent, the whole contemporary 21st century American right wing is the creation of a handful of media entrepreneurs. Sure. Uh, so. Uh, you know, Roger Ailes uh, and Rush Limbaugh uh, and, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch and uh, Andrew Breitbart. Lucian uh, Goldberg. They all, yeah. all, all niches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and going back to the beginning, they saw, you know, a, a East Coast liberal uh, oligopolistic media establishment uh, that, you know, had clear... Uh, centrist liberal biases, um, uh, but, you know, were had also high professional standards, uh, but sold themselves as just purely objective. And that really annoyed the hell out of everybody uh, <laughs> right back, back in, uh, in the old days. Uh, and so uh, there was a market uh, to people who, so my 
I remember uh, my parents were Goldwater Republicans and they groused about Walter Cronkite's liberal bias all the time. But, but by, you know, we certainly watched him every night at six 30. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, we, didn't, we didn't think he was lying or fake news. Uh, so uh, the idea was there long ago. So there was a market opportunity uh, and, uh, these guys cashed in and they cashed in by sort of feeding red meat of resentment uh, and anger uh, and demonization uh, until that audience got addicted to it and demanded it from their politicians. And their politicians first, first they thought, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, this, you know, this right wing media counter establishment is stirring up the troops uh, and then we'll lead them to victory. Uh, but uh, but it turned out, uh, as David Frum said uh, about 10 years ago, uh, back then, we thought uh, Fox was working for us, but we found out we're working for Fox. Uh, that uh, that the politicians, to remain leaders, had to follow the uh, the increasingly uh, id-driven Republican base, uh, which was driven into a frenzy by nonstop, uh, you know, profit-driven media. Um, and one big fallout of that was demonization of mainstream media. That was, uh, you know, that was their original shtick. Uh, so that's been a consistent theme for uh, for decades, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's driven to an entirely you know new level uh, when the president of the United States takes it to the demagogic levels that he did. You know, I think that the um, I think that there there may be a factor here too that as social media as journalists have have moved on to social media in order to to promote their work and to and to be part of the the public narrative. People sort of, they suddenly saw them not as sort of, you know, objective people working in a in an office somewhere, pondering the facts or gathering the facts. And they saw them start to engage in this sort of social media thing. It's like, I, I don't know how you sustain a journalistic image as someone, you know, a serious person in the sort of age of TikTok, age of Twitter. I'm like, I love Twitter, but I'm not a journalist by any stretch of the imagination. And, and. And that idea of of journalists fighting with fighting with their with their critics on Twitter, I think, I don't know. What do you? How do you? I mean, do you see the social media thing as? I think it's kind of killed the idea of the professionalized journalism class in, at a, at a meaningful way. So I, I think it's been a terrible trap for for quality reporting journalists mm-hmm. to begin with. There's a problem already, because if you work for the Washington Post, the New York Times, back in the day, you you read that block of paper, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was clear you were reading the Post. It was clear the news section was different from the op-ed section. That's right. Uh, but now everything is presented to you in this anarchic jumble on Twitter. That's, or, you know, that's how you see what's out there. And so analysis pieces and explainer pieces and opinion pieces by columnists and straight news pieces are just all willy-nilly mixed in with all the other toxic junk in the open sewer that is, you know, a, mm. a, a poorly managed Twitter feed. So already there's a problem uh, that that the authority that you had by being the sole occupants of, you know, a, of a reading experience that's gone. Um, but on top of that, I think, you know, what when I talk about objectivity, there's there's definitions of it that are unattainable and sort of quixotic. Sure, uh, but. Uh, judges project authority by wearing robes and sitting above you and making you stand up when you get in the room. Uh, cops wear uniforms and a sidearm. Um, doctors wear a white lab coat and get ticked off if you call a Mr. or Mrs. Right. So <laughs> right. people who want to project authority in society know that they've got to, they've got an act they've got to do. 
Um, and journalists had, during the 20th century coming out of their partisan and yellow press origins sort of you know, professionalized and developed an act which was to be totally fact-driven, right? You know, uh, if your mom says you love, she loves you, check it out, get a second source, mm-hmm. right? So distance from passion and interest, which are the things that people get people riled up about politics, to be dispassionate, to be disinterested, to check everybody out, to be skeptical about everybody, to insist upon verifiable facts, um, that helps you. Uh, it's it's not that it's going to get you to some sort of you know Olympian truth. It's that it helps you be trustworthy to all sides to establish facts that are common uh, and grist for public debate. That's your role. It's not to be to be arbiters of truth is to provide facts that that both sides can buy into and and there were there were sort of protocols and habits and and professional ethics that were developed to safeguard that uh, and I think going on Twitter where you have to be snarky and uh, and and self righteous uh, and show personality right. um, you have to right uh, that just leads you completely away from that ethic uh, becoming you know. Going on each other's uh, cable, you know, appearing as guests on all the cable news talk shows and becoming sort of TV presences uh, and, you know, joking with and going along with a joke when, you know, very virulently anti-Republican things are being said during the program because you're on the air and you're being affable. Right. Just all of that ruins the whatever tattered remains of the image of, of neutrality were left. Everybody's got a morning ritual. Uh, I know I do. And I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving. And more than coffee sometimes, it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet, the craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value. So this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. Sure. And I think it's also, I mean, uh, and there's a strange sort of moral blind spot on the whole thing from the right where, where they still sort of have this, this, this publicly facing at least affective. Oh, no one in the media likes us. We don't have a voice. No one listens to us except for, of course, on the largest cable news channel in the world uh, on Fox. And of course on the most successful element. And I, I still, people still can't get this talk radio is still a monster, huge communications platform in America. And it is eight, 90, 90, 10, 85, 15 on the conservative side of the equation. It's so it's so striking how much that is wired into the Republican and the right wing culture now that, oh, we're the oppressed ones. No one hears our voices. No one, We can't get a message out through the media bias, but they've built their own. And look, and you mentioned Roger Ailes earlier, who was a genius as an architect of the right wing outrage machine form of, of biased journalism on the right that has now become, ironically, 
even Rogers creation is now being lapped by a lot of these people who that their their audience that training for generations of be outraged be angry be be distrustful now they're like oh well, I don't trust Fox anymore because I get the real news at OAN right so yeah so I mean Roger Ailes was a puppet master but now you've got a bunch of Pinocchios right <laughs> <laughs> right leave all this stuff and know nothing else right mm-hmm. um it's really striking how this kind of strange uh, blindness to what the media really is now. Uh, right. So when you look at polls, you trust uh, the news you s- see on newspapers or on TV or here on the radio. That's the that's the Gallup question that's been asked since the early seventies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the trust ratings used to be in the seventies and high sixties, and very little gap between Republicans and Democrats and independents. Right. right. Uh, and then they all sort of dr- trended downward, but Republicans faster, so that by twenty fifteen, it was like fifty percent of Democrats trusted the media. Uh, what you know, trusted newspapers, TV, and radio, uh, and uh, and fi- and thirty percent of Republicans, and and now. After Trump, it's seventy percent of Democrats trust the media, so they've gone back up to old old heights, mm-hmm. and Republicans are down to like fourteen percent or something. So, but but they but they it's clear that poll respondents are not thinking about Fox or talk radio when they answer that question, even though it's very abstract and includes radio and includes TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would think. Anyway, so so there is there's a strange thing where Republicans have convinced themselves that what they do just isn't the media. I, I guess part of yeah, I think that's right. It's just, it's part of their culture now. It's part of their their broad sense of of you know we're outside of the the rest of the of the rest of American culture uh, you know in this separate bubble. So one of the questions I keep asking myself, having read these two pieces that that, that I thought I thought were incredibly good and provocative. Unfortunately, sort of the chaos and noise model for business. Um, look, as as Jeff Zucker and dis- discovered in 2016 when CNN was sort of floundering, or 15, that this gigantic show Trump was going to put on. And, and look, I was a merry participant in that CNN show in that era. I mean, I was probably on the network in the in the 16 election probably 200 times. A crazy number. And it was you. You they they wouldn't stop, couldn't stop talking about it because it was drawing in gigantic revenues, millions of eyeballs. How do you restore journalism? And I think what is a fairly critical moment because there's a lot of market forces that have broken mainstream journalism. There are a lot of 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 externalities that have crunched down the profitability of major media outlets while empowering smaller things like Substack. How do you do? How do you how do you fight to get credibility back in the media at the same time where we're going to go through basically now from today forward, roughly two more years of circus and chaos and noise and, and, you know, the, the big show. Yeah. So short term, I'm, I'm hopeless, right? I mean, you, you, so if you're a discriminating consumer right now, you're, you can be better informed now than at any point in history, right? It's all at your fingertips. So, but uh, the, the, you know, average, uh, consumer is not and uh, is right. swimming in a, swimming lost in an open sewer. A lot of the awfulness of the media environment today is is the function of political fundamentals that then are exhaust, exacerbated by the awfulness of the media environment. So if if somehow or another, you know, authoritarian pumpul- populism just exhausts itself, or if 
you know, social justice activism uh, gone, you know, uh, gone uh, off the deep end, just burns out like a prairie fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, then if, if, if the just general political conditions of American life just sort of, uh, you know, get a little bit more sane, uh, then, uh, then I think the media environment will respond, right? Uh, but, right. but longer term, and maybe some big news organizations can reconsider how, you know, how they responded in the last era, uh, in the yeah. last few years. Uh, but, but longer term, I, I think we've got just radical solutions. I think there is just a fundamental disconnect between uh, seeking profit by, uh, by you know, capturing attention and getting eyeballs uh, and uh, the goal of a well-informed public in a democracy. So, that, so one is a business and leads you down all kinds of directions that have nothing to do with producing a well-informed public for a democracy. Uh, so to me, that is a that is a public service. That's not a business. And it needs to be done as a public service. It needs to be a nonprofit kind of function. There needs to be some kind of like almost priesthood of journalists who just swear to be totally above the fray and, and that, you know, are... Uh, maniacally fact-driven uh, and uh, and build up trust in new institutions uh, that that so and then in the meantime uh, I think uh, just just like the earth, the first temperance movements of the 19th century back when Americans were just drunken fools uh, <laughs> or uh, or the you know the beginning of the anti-smoking campaign or the beginning of the anti-drunk drunk driving campaign, there just needs to be a temperance movement for media consumption. Uh, there needs to be a recognition that the median quality of what you what's out there is awful and toxic and bad for your brain and bad for your soul. Uh, and uh, the the best thing is just to never watch cable news and, <laughs> and to and to very 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 you know have a very carefully cura- curated internet experience uh, and uh, but. A movement along that line is a bottom up of we've got to tune this stuff out because it's driving us crazy and setting us uh, at, uh, up, you know, against each other. Uh, I'd like to see that. I think. I think one thing, other thing you mentioned is the the nonprofit journalism model. I think is one of those things that can restore some of the state and local coverage that now has essentially yeah. disappeared. I, the Texas Tribune does a tremendous job with that, where as a nonprofit journalistic outlet. They have managed to do a lot of original reporting. It's pretty straight up the middle. Uh, nobody, nobody on either side of the fence thinks that they are on their side, which I think is a great qualifier in journalism. I, I think that's what if, if if everyone hates you, you're doing a good job in that in that space. I think that's one of the few ways that's that that's that local and state political and and news coverage is going to improve. Um, yeah, since, since since the end of local newspapers, classified ad monopolies, and you know. Local news as a business is dead. Sure. So, so either it's going to be as some sort of nonprofit public service, or it's not going to exist. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Brink, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a great conversation, and I know you are twelve hours ahead of us. So we will let you. Uh, we will let you get on with your evening as we begin the day here in the states. But thank you again so much. It was a, a an incredibly provocative. Like I said column that I, and I think folks should read it. There are two pieces and they're on Brink's excellent substack, The Permanent Problem. 
Um, the first one was fighting in a burning house. And the second one was how mainstream journalism squandered its authority. Thank you again so much for being with us today, Brink. Thanks so much for having me on, Rick. Enjoy it. All right. Today on the enemies list, what I call the Ohio assholes. Listen, I love Ohio. I have family who came down from Ohio in the dawn of time, practically. It's a great state. Some great people. This week in East Palestine, Ohio, when a Norfolk Southern train derailed, a train carrying a lot of industrial chemicals. Norfolk Southern detonated one of the train cars that had polyvinyl chloride in it, and it is causing a number of environmental disasters in the area. But you know, it didn't stop people who represent Ohio from demagoguing the shit out of it. So you had J.D. Vance out there screaming and jumping up and down and blaming Joe Biden for the train flying off the tracks, even though the safety regulations that might have prevented this action were partly erased during the Trump era. And even though the infrastructure bill has only just passed and the benefits have not trickled out into every part of every state yet, he was blaming the infrastructure bill for, oh, we spent billions and then this train car still flew off the tracks. And then you've got Jim Jordan who, another guy who's a major Ohio politician, what is he doing this week? He's jumping up and down, screaming that he wants to see more of Hunter Biden's dick pics from media CEOs in Washington. This is one of those moments where the partisan horseshit, where the performative bullshit of today's MAGA Republican Party has taken a tragedy and turned it into this grotesque circus. These people should be working together You know where J.D. Vance should be? He should be on the goddamn phone with the White House and saying, hey, I'm going to put this stuff aside. Let's help our people. Come on. Let's let's do the right thing. Instead, he's out there dancing and capering around like a fucking moron. And it really does tell you a lot about how quickly they will weaponize a disaster to try to score a political point. So it is a indicative and disappointing and seemingly, unfortunately, inevitable aspect of the, the the rise and control of the MAGA party as they ate the old GOP. They're willing to not do the work to help their people uh, as long as they can get a, a, a hit on Tucker later th- that evening to blame Joe Biden for a disaster. It's quite something. J.D. Vance, Jim Jordan, and the rest of the Ohio assholes, you're on the enemies list. Get your shit together. Help your people. Good God. This has been The Enemies List. And if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square, a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad, along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious and more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. 
Thanks again. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. Mm -hmm.